This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. The topic of this morning is hidden treasure. And as we were sitting out there talking, Clint brought up, he said, you know, we were talking about different lessons we'd like to work on and that we'd like to hear. And he said, you know, it'd be nice to hear a few more lessons on parables because that was how Jesus chose to teach. And I think sometimes we may be guilty of not teaching on parables quite as often because we figure, well, there's simple things that people already understand and we want to get into something deeper. At least that's what happens with me. And I was thinking, well, how foolish that is. Whatever our Lord and Master chose to do is far superior than anything we could come up with. And so this morning, uh, this parable, these two actually that I have up on the board were on my mind. We have the parable of the hidden treasure and of the pearl of great price. So I want to start with a little story. You know, some folks, they're on a constant mission to unearth buried treasure, while others are fortunate enough to stumble upon it unexpectedly. Back in 2013, one of those unsuspecting group of people was, uh, it was actually a California-based couple. They took their dog for a walk, and they noticed a rusted can partially buried in the ground on their property, and they were shocked to find that this metal container was filled with $20 gold coins. And upon further investigation, the couple found several more coin-filled cans buried nearby on their property. These coins were minted from 1847 to 1894, and much to their surprise, they were, there were nearly 1,400 of these $20 pieces, and in addition to that, they found 50 $10 pieces and four or $5 pieces. And you know, the worth of the collection just based on its original value would have been good. It would have been impressive, but the going rate for a single coin was estimated to be $1 million. Now imagine for a minute, that's close to $1,454,000,000. I believe this couple ended up getting $10 million in the end. But there's a coin expert named by David McCarty, and he said that that was an amazing discovery that was unheard of in North America. And this is a picture of those coins there. I want to read to you the two parables. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The first point that I want to make this morning is that a hidden treasure is always a pleasant surprise, isn't it? You know, when we stumble across something that's unpleasant, we wouldn't call it a treasure. We'd call it a nasty surprise, you know? You walk through my backyard after the dog's been out there and Ethan's not done his chore, and you might get a nasty surprise. But sometimes, when we're out and about, something of great value is there underneath our feet. When we consider the value of the kingdom of God, when we share the gospel with a lost soul, the first thing we should be doing is pointing out its great and pleasing value. And I think this is important because sometimes we get wrapped around 
what it cost, what we think it cost. And I'll tell you, the world definitely is focused on what is this going to cost me? If I choose to live like you're demanding Christ, what's it going to get me? Or, you know, and they, they're, they're weighing the cost. And really, that's not how we should be doing it. Do you think that that couple that found that can of coins for any minute stopped and think, hmm, well, how much effort is going to be to dig that out of the ground? I wonder how hard it's going to be to count that money. Well, I know there's a lot of value there, but what a bother to go have it appraised. I don't think that they did that, do you? And I want you to secondly note that the treasure, treasure was indeed hidden. It had to be sought after. It was out of plain sight. It couldn't be just stumbled upon and it wouldn't be found without looking. Because notice it says <clears throat> that when this man found this treasure that was hidden, he hid it again. And he went to go do something about it. He didn't want to lose what he'd found. Now, obviously, with treasure, you're thinking, well, I don't want somebody else to come along and pick it up after me instead of me. That's not going to happen with God's word. But it can slip away from you. This treasure that Christ offers us, you know, as Jason opened us up this morning, we are reminded of our limited time on this earth. And it is possible to come in contact with God's treasure but leave it behind thinking that we're going to come back and pick it up at some later date and never have that opportunity. You might wonder, why would God wish to hide such a great treasure from, from sight? So I want to turn to Matthew chapter 13 and read verses 10 through 16. And the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not... Because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand... And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. The key to this passage is in verse 12. What Jesus is saying here is that failure to respond to truth brings blindness. But a positive response is rewarded with further understanding. <clears throat> Jesus used parables both to reveal truth to the faithful and conceal it from those who would reject it. You see that treasure of God's Word, of the Gospel, <clears throat> is hidden from some precisely because it is valuable beyond the norm. God wants a person to find this treasure because they are seeking it. He's concerned with the condition of the heart. The reality is this, each and every person on this earth can not only find this treasure if they seek it, but they have already laid eyes upon it, perhaps even laid hands on it, and not understood what it was that they held because of their attitude and the condition of their heart. 
I want to be clear, God is ever-present in our lives. God doesn't hide Himself where He cannot be found. But if we choose to put our focus on the world, if we choose to ignore Him and the clear prodding of the Holy Spirit in our lives to come to Him, then we can not realize that He's there. And that would, that's such a great tragedy. He asked us to seek Him, meaning He expects us to go in search of Him. He hides in plain sight, and when we open our eyes, we find that He's near. In the parable, once the man found the treasure, he immediately knew the value, and he was filled with joy. And in the same way, when we find God by seeking Him, we recognize the value of God's awesomeness immediately. There's just no joy that is equal to knowing the magnitude of God's grace and mercy, being welcomed into His kingdom. We've heard that. You've told people that probably. But sometimes people are confused as to, well, why exactly is God's kingdom valuable? As already pointed out, as soon as the man discovered the treasure, he realized its value was worth more than anything and the joy that it brought him was immense. So too is the kingdom of God when it's been truly discovered. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute, you've got this present in front of you. It's elaborate, it's expensive, and it's unique. Now, whatever extravagance that you can imagine, it still would pale in comparison to opening the door to God's kingdom. Anything that we can imagine on this earth is nothing when we compare it to God's kingdom. We've all heard that. But sometimes we can't explain why that is. Sometimes people don't see the value. What is treasure? Do you ever think about the definition? It's wealth or riches stored or accumulated. It usually consists of metal, coins, jewels, jewelry, money, possessions of some kind. Now, if you had a box of items estimated at $10 million, would that be worth much to you? What would you say if somebody plucked a piece of that out and you have the whole portion here and then you have a piece of it and maybe they want to hand it to you a piece at a time? It's one gem or jewel at a time. Would you scorn that one jewel and say, no, I'm either going to have it all right now as I want it or I'm not going to have it at all? Treasure is treasure regardless of how and when it comes. And I think sometimes... The value of God's kingdom is misunderstood. It's not seen because people are not satisfied with how it's being revealed in God's wisdom to them. I want to talk about a few things here that give God's kingdom its value. Colossians 1 verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Do you know that the kingdom of God is the only place that offers refuge from the powers of darkness? I thought a lot about this lesson as I was uh, putting it together. And I decided I was going to keep it extraordinarily simple and to the point. Because... We are so often consumed by what's around us that we take it into us. And by that I mean you have light and you have darkness. 
The world is filled with darkness. God is light. Sometimes if you stare at the darkness too long, the darkness is all you see. Because the thing about darkness is the only way you can see it is when there's an absence of light. So when we find ourselves in today's world, this, uh, I see this all the time, sometimes we begin to feel anxious. Sometimes we might feel hopeless. Sometimes we might feel angry. And oftentimes it's because we are focused on the wrong thing. We're focused on the darkness that surrounds us. But if we would just turn to God's light, if we would focus on the treasure that is ours, on the victory that has already been won, as we sang about this morning, I think you would find that there is refuge from that darkness. There is no need to feel that anxiety. Funny story this morning. So when I came into real estate with Clint, I went to all these stores and I bought these nice clothes. I had a tailor, so I was going to look good and professional like I used to in my military uniform. And then the summer heat comes along, and I decided it's too hot to wear them, so I started wearing my customary little polos that I've been wearing for about six months now. And then this morning I thought, well, it's starting to cool off. Maybe it's time to go put those other clothes back on. And you know, I went to put them back on, and they did not fit right anymore. <laughs> I know I look skinny, but you know, it's just that pear syndrome. I do gain weight here. And when you have a tailored shirt, uh, let's just say I didn't need to pull off a Pillsbury Doughboy look this morning, so I didn't, didn't wear them. And I got to thinking, what happened to me over the last few months? You know what it amounts to is stress. It's focusing on the wrong things. It was finding ways to, you know, you know, not have to, you know, vegetate, we say. Not think. You know, I'd sit and watch a TV show or I'd eat bunch of sugary nasty food or I haven't been going to the gym lately you know things like that and uh, that's all because I've forgotten the, the, the great treasure that I have what on earth am I getting upset about worried about anxious about there is just no reason we have great treasure and I've already found this treasure but do you sometimes close the lid on that treasure box and forget what's in it if you do, like I do sometimes, it's good to go back and look at, again, how did you feel when you were baptized? How did you feel when you felt the Holy Spirit come into you? How did you feel when you knew all your sins were forgiven and there was a home being prepared for you up in heaven? You were excited. Nothing could bring you down. You were telling other people about it. You had a spring in your step. And then as the nature of all men is, as time goes by, we start to not think on it. We start to take it for granted. You can have this treasure in your possession and fail to reap the, the joy and the peace that comes from having it, is my point. But God's kingdom, it can deliver us from the power of darkness. Ephesians 2, verses 2 through 3. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind and of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You realize this is the state of the world. This is what we're turning to 
when we're not turning to God's word, when we turn for peace and comfort, when we want to find somebody else's thoughts and it's not, if we're not seeking God's word, his input, his advice, but we're looking to other men, things of this world to give us peace, to give us affirmation, to give us reassurance. These, in Ephesians 2, verses 2 through 3, these are the types of people we're turning to for counsel and peace. And what do we expect to find there? When a person is born again, he enters the kingdom of heaven. He's set free from guilt and the domain of sin so that he can serve God. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 6, 17-18, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made freed from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Have you been baptized? There's a big argument about, well, is baptism required? Is it a work of man? Is it a work of the Holy Spirit? Etc., etc. Here's what I'll tell you the Bible says. It says to do it. It says to do it. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care if I make you upset. Frankly, I hope I do make you upset so if you don't believe that, so you'll go back and read for yourself because it's a matter of life and death. John 3 says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. And then it says in Romans 6 that Paul is, th- is thankful that these people obeyed from the heart. What are they obeying? The command. They repented. They acknowledged their need for a Savior. They proclaimed Christ publicly. They entered into the waters of baptism and were raised into newness of life. That is what they did. If that hasn't transpired in your life, frankly, you won't have peace. You won't have contentment. You won't have the treasure that you, you desire and you'll constantly be looking for it. You'll constantly be uncertain. You'll constantly have questions. We're called to obey. God is a God worthy of obedience. Why wouldn't you obey? The kingdom has great value because of what it contains. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, in other words, not physical, temporal things of this world, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let me just tell you that one of the great struggles that men have, and I would imagine that many of us have this struggle from time to time, is that when we come to follow God, we get the impression I am doing as I'm, I was told. I've accepted Christ. I am committing my life to Him. I'm giving up these other things. Then why, Lord, do I suffer? Why, Lord, is the evil man richer than me? You know, if you think this ever goes away, I can assure you that it does not. Uh, I look around now that I'm uh, doing a different line of work, and you know, I go out there and I try to apply my integrity and my military ethos to things. And two things I find constantly assaulting me. One is I have to fight back against an envy that rises when I see the wicked man prosper and I struggle. The other thing is when I see wickedness, incompetence, evil, mistreatment of other people, I just want to choke people out. Because I'm used to being able to do something about it. And I can't. I just can't. 
That's not life. That's not what we're called to do. Now, I could get exasperated and I could turn to God and say, God, I've done everything you ask and still this is going on. What am I doing wrong? Why is life not better? Why do I feel peace? Why do I lose a loved one? Why do bad things happen? But the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is not about how you feel and the experiences you have in this life. It's not about whether you're rich or poor. It's not about whether you feel content. It's not about whether you have bouts of depression. It's not about any of those things. It says it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, righteousness involves a right standing in the sight of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, catch this. Philippians 3, verse 9. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then it moves into the idea of peace. Peace has to do with the inner understanding that we know we are right with God. It's a peace that passes understanding. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Why be thankful in all circumstances? Philippians 4, verse 7. Because the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You understand that the kingdom offers you a type of peace that comes from knowing that no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how lacking you realize you are, we are viewed through the lens of Christ's blood upon us. It is His righteousness alone that is going to save us. Not ours. So it's not about what we do. You know, our, our joy should not be rooted in a cause and effect. God, I obeyed you today, so I expect blessing here tomorrow. It shouldn't be about that. It should be about knowing that no matter what we go through, the things that would bring a normal man down, the things that would break another, the things that might drive another to suicide, the things that would drive another to drug use, the thing that would drive a marriage to divorce, the thing that would lead to great agony over uh, an unsaved child dying, those would ruin ordinary men outside of the kingdom, but they cannot ruin us. Isn't that something to be joyful about? To take peace over, you'll feel grief, but you'll have peace. Now, if you don't, if you don't, we're going to talk about that in a minute. This idea of joy, joy is abiding in the Lord. Joy is not how I feel when I get a big paycheck. Joy is not how I feel when I get up and Charity's made me a breakfast and cleaned all in the same morning. And she's not in the bathroom doing her hair 30 minutes before time to go to church. <laughs> and I need to go to the restroom. Joy is not those trivial things. You stop and think, what is it that makes you happy on a daily basis? I think about it all the time, and I'm like, man, it's always got to do with selfishness. Almost always. What is it that will make me pleased? Well, I don't want to have to worry about my pay, I want to be comfortable. I don't want either of the two vagrant animals in my house in my house. I want them outside. I don't want any messes. I want perfect kids. You know, that honor and respect me. I really don't want to hear about all the times that I mess up. I know when I mess up, I don't want to hear about it. 
I want respect. I want people to stop cutting me off on the road. I don't want somebody's lack of planning to have to become my emergency. I mean, I don't even want to have to deal with a slow poke at a self-checkout lane at Walmart. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I'm in the self-checkout because I don't want to deal with the person, right? You think about it. These are the kind of things that come across our minds on a daily basis, are they not? And when our joy is based on those things, we really have no joy at all. Romans 15 verse 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We can be happy now. We just have to remember what we're happy for. We have to remember what brings true joy. And just think about the joy we're going to experience when Jesus comes again. 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Uh, Jason Kelly stood up a Sunday ago or something like that, and he made a little commentary before one of his songs, and he said, you know, I remember a time when I was afraid of the Lord's return because I was worried that there would be that one sin that I'd committed maybe 30 seconds prior that I hadn't had time to ask forgiveness of yet, and I'd be straight on my way to hell just because of bad timing. And he said, as I got more mature in the faith, I began to realize that Thank God it's Christ's righteousness and not my own that has secured my hope. And that is my treasure. And so we can take great joy at the return of our Savior. You look at the state of the world today. If you cannot say as a Christian, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come right now. If you're unable to say that, it may be that you haven't fully grasped hold of that treasure that He's offered you. The kingdom is valuable because it is destined to eternal glory. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24 For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming, then come at the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God even the, to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and power. We can be joyful even in this world because Christ has already won. God is on the throne. He's the God of the good times and He's the God of the bad times. And He sits up there during the worst times when it seems man has got the edge on everything and we see all these evil plans and machinations of people. And you know what God is doing? The Bible says He's up there looking down with a snort of derision. It's like God is doing this. <laughs> you think you've got it all figured out. And they think that He's slack concerning His promises because He doesn't act as quickly and rashly as men would. But the Bible tells us He's long-suffering. Friends, Christ won. He is coming. His kingdom will be delivered up to God the Father and Christ will crush all evil and wickedness in this world and we can be joyful for that. And knowing that, it might just change our perspective towards these evil men and allow us to say, you know, I don't like what you're doing. You probably deserve what you get, but man, I know what's coming for you and so I, out of the same kind of love Christ has for you, I'm going to share this treasure with you. 
My friend, refuge, spiritual blessings, and destiny and glory make the precious kingdom a true treasure chest worth finding. And we must be willing to give everything up. You know, the man sold everything he had to buy the field. In the same way, when we seek God, we realize that there's no earthly riches that come close. In verse 45, you know, we read about that merchant. He was actually looking for the fine pearls. And when he found them, he sold everything and he bought it. Now, we've always been taught probably that we're supposed to give up things in order to accept Christ. Uh, And that's true. But I want to tell you the story of Jim Elliott. He's a missionary. Jim knew Christ from an early age. He was never afraid to speak about him to his friends. At age six, Jim told his mother, Now, Mama, the Lord Christ can come to us whenever he wants because he'd just been baptized. He said he could take our whole family because now that I'm saved and Jane is still too young to know him, we're all good to go. In 1945, Jim traveled to Wheaton, Illinois to attend Wheaton College, and his main goal there was to devote himself to God. He had no time for girls at this time, although he did later marry. He was uh, recorded as saying, it reminded me of the Apostle Paul. He said, you know, I've never seen a, a domesticated man that was fit for adventure. He wanted to go do work for the Lord. He recognized the importance of discipline in pursuing this goal. He would start every morning with prayer and a Bible study. And in his journal, he wrote, None of this gets to be old stuff, for it is Christ in print, the living word. We wouldn't think of rising in the morning without a face wash, but we often neglect the purgative cleansing of the word of the Lord. It wakes us up to our responsibility. Jim's desire to serve God by taking his gospel, uh, the gospel, to unreached uh, people of the world began to grow while he was at Wheaton. He met his future wife during that time. In June of 1950, he traveled to Oklahoma to study at the uh, Summer Institute of Linguistics, and he learned how to uh, learn and speak unwritten languages because he was going to Ecuador eventually to some of those lost tribes that had been unreached. In February 1952, Jim left America to travel to Ecuador with Pete Fleming, and in May, Elizabeth, his wife, moved to Quito, and, well, this is when they began their courtship, they, uh, they flew on an aircraft after settling among the Quechua Indians and decided that they were going to reach the, it's called the Waidoni tribe. They lived deep in the jungles. They hadn't had any contact with anybody else, and they had a penchant for killing everybody who came close. And it was these people that he wanted to reach out to. So these, these guys, there was four of them, they began to search and they found a sandbar in the middle of the Kure River, and they used it as a landing strip, and that was the first contact they made with these Wayadoni Indians. And uh, they attempted to share the love of Christ. Well, at the, that was their goal. At their first meeting, one man from the tribe, they called him George, uh, he lied, uh, basically, this guy, he lied to his tribe about the men's intentions. And this lie, this lie that he told led to these warriors planning to attack the missionaries when they returned. The interesting thing was they took George up in the plane and took him around for a flight and uh, really tried to love on him. And their goal was to get him to take some knowledge of the gospel back to the tribe. Well, when they came back, they got out and uh, two women appeared out of the trees. And, you know, Jim got all excited 
we started running through the water to meet them, and then uh, they discovered that there was about 10 warriors behind them that ambushed them, and they, they killed them. They killed every one of them. Uh, later, his wife went back to that same tribe and eventually made ground, and they were able to, believe it or not, bring these people to Christ, get the word out there. Now, that whole story is pretty incredible. He's a pretty incredible guy. But he, he said something. It's, you probably can't read it here in his journal. This is the original journal that they found in his belongings. But it says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is really the point of the whole lesson this morning. What was the difference in Jim Elliott? Was it his bravery? Was it his intelligence? Was it his parents? And what about the man in our parable? What made him smart enough to go look for this pearl and sell everything and buy it? All of humanity is searching for something. There's a desire for something more, something different, and that indicates that there's something lacking, doesn't it? You see this picture of this cell phone chained to this hand? I'm here to tell you that in the heart of every man, there is a great God-shaped hole that only God can fill. And this world does everything it can. Satan does everything he can to put distractions into your very hand. It breaks my heart because I see the young people that I know and love. I see the adults that I know and love entangled in this chain like this and unwilling to acknowledge it. Angry when you confront them with it. What is chaining you? You know what it is. Why do you get so angry at the people who come to you out of love to try to help you break that chain? It's clear you can't do it yourself. God can do it. Just like that. Just like that. He has a treasure that surpasses whatever it is you've changed yourself to. You just have to let Him do His work. There are things that I rechain myself to occasionally. It says... It's as if we have these old things that we go back to for comfort in times of great distress. And that's exactly the opposite of what we should do. We don't need to look any further. But I'm going to ask you this. Where are you looking for your treasure? Do you gaze on it again every once in a while? Or do you have it locked in a vault where you can't see it? Because if you don't return and look at it, you forget about it. You forget the beauty of it. You forget the joy and the peace that it brings. I'm reminded of a man who saw a $100 bill wash into a sewer. And he opens up the manhole and he climbs into that sewer and he's down in the muck and the filth and the dirtiest and he finds that $100 bill. He gets it. And then there's another man who's observing this whole thing. It was his $100 bill that blew away and he turns away from that man and walks into the bank, into the vault. 
where he's got everything tucked away tidily and clean and he can look at it and he's not dirtied up by this world. If you're chasing a dim reflection of the truth, you don't really have the treasure. You're wallowing for some scrap that's blown away from someone who's really got it and you're in the dirtiest of places trying to grasp at something when you've got the whole safe behind you and you have access to it. Get rid of those things in your life that you're chained to that are stealing these things from you. Jesus asked the question, what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Sometimes people view giving their lives as Christ as a sacrifice they must grit and bear. They view it as a great ball and chain and perhaps they view it as a terrible tasting medicine that they know that will do them good but will be awful to take. But that's not the picture here, is it? This man found just what he was looking for in our parable. What he found was the fulfillment of his every desire down to the deepest place in his heart. So when he gave up all he had in order to obtain it, it wasn't a difficult thing. It was something he was eager and glad to do. And so I'd just like to suggest something for us all to meditate upon. If when we consider giving our lives to Christ, if we have feelings of regret over what we cannot do, what we cannot have, what we cannot experience, then perhaps we haven't actually gone looking for and found the treasure for ourselves. Perhaps we're living vicariously through another person. Perhaps we see the joy another person has and we're saying, yeah, yeah, I wish I had that. Really not willing to do what they did to get it, though. And friends, you can't get it if you don't go reach for it yourself. You can't get to heaven vicariously through another person. You can't take a portion of another person's peace and put it into your own heart. You can't find joy that's lasting in somebody else's joy. When they're gone, you'll be left with yourself and you'll go where your heart's treasure is. Paul said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You know, it always fascinated me. I heard many lessons over this verse over the years and what always fascinates me is preachers will get to that word dung and they'll replace it with a euphemism as if they don't want to say, oh, that's a little too, too graphic. How foolish. How foolish. If we don't stop and think about what we're actually doing. You know, we're about to close. The treasure came free with a field, didn't it? The man paid everything he had to purchase the field and came with a the treasure, that's true. When we seek Jesus, he asks us to give up everything for him. When we choose Jesus, we choose his will over our own. We give everything over to him. And in exchange, he gives us grace, love, and forgiveness. We're just unable to fathom the depth of the riches that will follow. We're going to spend our whole lives discovering the depth and the riches of God's grace. But that's not the only significance of the field. The man hid the treasure in the field and then secured the field. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that field is our hearts. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Because Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. Have you sold what you need to in order to purchase and secure your heart, your field, by hiding the Word of God in it? Have you opened your eyes and looked upon the great treasure previously hidden but now revealed that God has left for you? Colossians 1, 26, verse 27. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are your eyes fixed on something less? Are you walking about absorbed with earthly things, other people or yourself, so that you cannot see it? There's new life in God's kingdom waiting for us. And it's more than just going to heaven when we die. That's going to be wonderful. But the kingdom life is here and now. It's knowing the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's listening to His voice. It's having peace, joy, love, and His power working within us. It's the best life possible. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. When the man sold all and purchased the field, how do you think he felt? Was he glad? Yeah. Was his purchase worth it? Immeasurably. The same can be said of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Sell what you must to purchase it. Do it today. You will be glad. Your purchase is definitely worth it. We're not going to sing this, but this song came to my mind. Heaven holds all to me. These words are a little hard to read, but... It says, earth holds no treasures but perish with using, however precious they be. Yet there's a country to which I am going. Heaven holds all to me. Out on the hills of that wonderful country, happy, contented, and free, loved ones are waiting and watching my coming. Heaven holds all for me, all to me. Why should I long for the world with its sorrows, when in that home or the sea, millions are singing the wonderful story. Heaven holds all to me. I'm going to leave you with those words. If there's anyone in the audience this morning that has not yet given their lives to Christ, now is the time to do it. We have water. You can be baptized. If you have been saved, but you've been struggling, you have had your focus elsewhere, and your treasure has been dimmed in your eyes and you need prayers, we would be happy to, to pray for you. All I know is that we have no excuse to not be filled with peace and joy and love and happiness and great joy and be excited about the coming of the Lord. We just have no excuse. So let's be so as we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.